Trump triumphant in Iowa, Haley hopeful in Hampshire, and DeSantis despondent for the rest on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Add Ike to you, and Ike to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 408 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. Donald Trump broke the records in Iowa on Monday, taking the first contest on the 2024 Republican presidential calendar overwhelmingly. He won 51% of the caucus vote, compared to the 24% he got in the 2016 second-place finish to Ted Cruz. Ron DeSantis, who campaigned in all 99 counties, who put the majority of his efforts nationwide into the state, and armed with endorsements from popular Governor Kim Reynolds and evangelical leader Bob Vanderplatz, nonetheless finished a very poor second with 21%. Nikki Haley, who was thought to have momentum after strong debate performances and a second-place showing in the closely-watched Iowa poll, finished even worse than the Florida governor, getting 19%. She still somehow tried to paint the race as a two-candidate race, not nearly as convincing as Bill Clinton's spin coming off his 1992 second-place finish in New Hampshire, where he called himself the comeback kid. Haley will need a strong turnout by independents in Tuesday's New Hampshire primary to finish close to Trump. On the other hand, 110,000 Republicans showed up to the caucus this year. In 2016, the last contested race, the turnout was nearly 187,000. You could blame the cold weather for the drop-off, but that much of a decrease? You could also make the case that nearly 50% of the Republicans preferred someone other than Trump. At least they didn't vote for him. But what does that say about his rivals? When Trump lost in 2016, he congratulated Cruz for his victory and said he ran a great race. Two days later, he said the race was stolen and accused Cruz of fraud. Fast forward to last Monday. While Trump did his usual rewriting of history, embellishing his accomplishments and simply making stuff up, he also called for unity and was gracious towards his defeated foes. And I really think this is time now for everybody our country to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. That's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. It's going to happen soon. I want to thank you very much. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a, good, a good time together. We're all having a good time together. And uh, I think they both actually did very well. I really do. I think they both did very well. We don't even know what the outcome of second place is. There are very smart, very smart people, very capable people. But that kumbaya didn't last long. Here was Trump two days later, returning to his belittling of Nikki Haley. So if you want a nominee who is endorsed by 
All of the rhinos, globalists, never Trumpers, and crooked Joe Biden's biggest donors, she's your candidate. Nikki Haley, in particular, <laughs> is counting on the Democrats and liberals to infiltrate your Republican primary. He also came up with an astounding reason for why he picked her to become his ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley is a disaster. She worked for me for a long time. I mean, I know it very well. I actually put her there for a different reason. I shouldn't say this, but you had a lieutenant governor named Henry McMaster who was fantastic. I figured if I took her out of South Carolina governorship, put her someplace, any place, I put her someplace, then Henry McMaster, who was my friend and who's turned out to be a great governor in South Carolina, Henry McMaster would become the governor. So I moved her to the United Nations. And honestly, she was not a good negotiator. She was not a good negotiator. Now she likes to talk about when I negotiated with China, I negotiated with China. And on Friday, and this is probably my favorite, he incredibly blamed Haley for what happened on January 6th. Uh, if this weren't, if I weren't involved in this, if I were home, boy, look at all the people back there. You got a lot of people. This is supposed to be a quaint little area. This is not quaint at all. They're rough people. This is not quaint. Wow. You know, when she comes here, she gets like nine people. And the press never reports the crowds, you know. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, they, did you know they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything? Deleted and destroyed all of it. All of it. Because of lots of things. Like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. Soldiers. National Guard. So whatever they want. They turned it down. They don't want to talk about that. These are very dishonest people. He has also resorted to the kind of birther tactics he used against Barack Obama. His post on Truth Social called her Nikki Namrata Haley, misspelling Nikki's birth name Namrata, just in case people didn't know she's of Indian heritage. He's also questioning her eligibility to be president because her parents were born in India. He may not know much about the Constitution, but he certainly knows a lot about employing racist and xenophobic tactics in a campaign. Remember what he said about Barack Obama? He doesn't have a birth certificate, or he hasn't shown it. His grandmother in Kenya said he was born in Kenya. But Nikki Haley has done herself no favors. Earlier, she inexplicably failed to come up with the reasons for the Civil War in answer to a voter's question in Iowa. This week, she let herself get stuck in a Fox News interview with Brian Kilmeade as to whether or not the U.S. is or has ever been a racist country. Are you involved in a racist party? No. We're, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. But our goal is to always make sure we try and be more perfect every day that we can. She also decided to skip the two New Hampshire debates with DeSantis, saying the only guys she would debate are Trump or Biden. Some said that was a strategic mistake, given that it was the debates that boosted her in the polls. But with Trump refusing to participate, she would be once more left arguing with DeSantis in nasty encounters that didn't serve anyone well, except Trump. And one more added insult to injury. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who was appointed to his position by then-Governor Haley in 2013, endorsed Trump over Haley ahead of the New Hampshire primary. Both candidates had been furiously trying to win his backing. But Scott, who some say is angling to be vice president, went with the likely winner instead of his old ally. 
Trump likes to talk about the importance of loyalty, but obviously only when it refers to him. The other South Carolina senator, Lindsey Graham, is solidly in Trump's corner, regardless of what he said about him eight years ago, like in this CNN interview. He's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. He doesn't represent my party. He doesn't represent the values that the men and women who wear the uniform are fighting for. I've been in the Air Force for 33 years. I retired this June. He's the ISIL man of the year, by the way. And you know how you make America great again? Tell Donald Trump to go to hell. But that was then, and this is now. And Nikki Haley's bid to topple the frontrunner is fading fast. And now it's New Hampshire. Donald Trump's triumph in Iowa broke the state's caucus records, but he and the Republican field face a different electorate in New Hampshire. Fewer evangelicals, more independents. And while a caucus usually brings out the true believers who are willing to spend hours at a voting site, turnout for a primary is always greater because it demands far less of a voter's time, in and out. Plus, New Hampshire Republicans have notably distinguished themselves from their Iowa brethren by often choosing a different candidate. In 1980, 1988, 1996, 2000, 2008, 2012, and 2016, the GOP choice in Iowa was defeated shortly afterwards in New Hampshire. What makes New Hampshire different? And will its contrariness continue next week? Fergus Cullen is a former Republican state chair in New Hampshire. He's also the author of Granite Steps, Stumbles, surprises, and successes on the New Hampshire primary trail. He is both a party activist and a historian, which makes him the perfect interview for the political junkie. Fergus, it's great having you back on the show. Uh, My pleasure, Ken. Thank you. Well, thank you. And so tell me, what is it about New Hampshire and the fact that it often picks a different candidate than, uh, than Iowa? Well, key is that in New Hampshire, an independent voter here called unaffiliated can vote in either primary, a Democratic or a Republican primary. They can become a party member for a day. So that opens up the electorate a lot, potentially, to a candidate who can appeal not only to one party's base, but also to the middle of the electorate. And this year, where the Democratic race is basically non-existent in New Hampshire, Joe Biden is not even on the ballot. They're running some kind of write-in campaign on his behalf. If you're an unaffiliated voter, all the action should be in the Republican primary if you have a candidate who inspires and attracts you. And I'm not sure that we're going to have that either this year. Well, that's what I was about to get into. I mean, I think of what happened in 2000. Uh, and, you know, after George W. Bush won in Iowa and then John McCain appealed to independence and, you know, his maverickosity, which I'm not sure is a word, but I mean, he won big in New Hampshire because independents and independent minded Republicans voted for him. But then at the same time, New Hampshire also picked Pat Buchanan over Bob Dole in 1996 and it voted for Donald Trump in 2016. So I don't know what it tells us, but if New Hampshire is often seen as the, the state that corrects what happened in Iowa, 
you're saying that there may not be a reason to correct. There, there may not be a reason for new for New Hampshire Republicans to correct what happened in Iowa. At least they're not seeing a reason. So back in 2000, when John McCain came and won the New Hampshire primary, he carried Republicans by one point that year. But what turned it into a rout, a 17-point win, was McCain getting a disproportionate share of the independent voters who voted disproportionately in the Republican primary. But that was a quarter century ago, and a lot has changed since, including in both parties. And Nikki Haley has been sort of pinning her hopes on that possibility here. Uh, Donald Trump is very strong in New Hampshire among Republicans. The fact of the matter is most Republicans basically have a favorable view of him. Most of them voted for him twice in general elections in the past. And while they've said that they're open to dating other people and looking around, the fact is they aren't opposed to Donald Trump. Now, that's not me. I'm a never-Trump Republican, but I'm trying to be objective here about what most Republican primary voters are thinking. Now we've had race where Vivek has dropped out, Chris Christie has dropped out, uh, DeSantis has basically waved the white flag and said he's retreating to South Carolina. Uh, so it really is basically a two-person race in New Hampshire between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. But it appears that Trump has a very significant lead. A question is, does he break 50 percent? And if so, by how much? You know, the argument all along, going back to 2016, is if the non-Trump vote can just consolidate behind one candidate, they can beat him. Well, you know what? I've done the math. And if one candidate is over 50 percent, the rest of the field can consolidate, and it still isn't enough to beat him. What's your take on what happened Monday in Iowa? And the reason I ask you is that he Trump upended all the norms of politics. He refused to debate. He he made fewer campaign stops, you know, than his rivals, and and yet his 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 win broke all the records. Well, and let's go back to 2016 in New Hampshire, where Donald Trump won the primary here in New Hampshire without doing town hall meetings, without taking questions from voters, without hardly shaking, you know, more than a couple hundred hands along the way. And I think a lot of campaigns have looked at that and said, you know, maybe all those town halls and the grassroots interaction with regular voters is overrated and isn't that important. I look at what happened in Iowa, and a couple of things stand out to me. One was that turnout was some 40 percent less than it was in 2016. Now, sure, it was cold in Iowa, but my experience is that Midwesterners have experienced cold before and usually go about their normal lives, more or less. Uh, what it says to me is a certain lack of engagement, lack of enthusiasm, not among your hardcore activists, political activists, but among regular people who may be looking at this and say, ah, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, I'm not excited about it, but they're responding with apathy. You know, people turn out when they are pissed off or they are inspired. And I don't think we've got many voters out there who are feeling inspired these days about any of the candidates in either party. You know, I was going to say that, you know, on the plus side, he won, you know, close to 50 percent of the vote, which is the biggest win for a non-incumbent Republican ever. But it also means that close to 50 percent voted against him. So it's, it's, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. But if 50 percent is voting against him, one would think that they could latch on to an alternative. But you're saying that Nikki Haley hasn't made the case to be the, that alternative? I, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I saw her just last night in Rochester, New Hampshire. It was the fourth time I've seen her on the stump. 
She had a crowd of about 250 people last night. Now, that's good for what she's been getting in New Hampshire for a year, but this is, you know, five days before the primary. That's a very modest crowd. And they were polite, and they clapped sporadically, uh, but this was not a crowd that was super enthusiastic or engaged about her. There is no sign, in other words, that she has lit a spark among these independent voters that she needs in big numbers. And that's what I see coming out of Iowa. I just see a, a lack of engagement, a lack of excitement, a lack of participation. I'm not expecting a high turnout in New Hampshire on Tuesday uh, compared to what we've seen in the past. You know, I think of, I was thinking of debates before. I was thinking of past primaries where debates played a major role. I mean, we always remember Ronald Reagan, that famous Reagan line in New Hampshire in 1980. Mr. Green, you turn on my phone. You asked for me if you would... I am paying for this microphone, Mr. Um, and then we remember, you know, Rick Perry not remembering the third cabinet department he would eliminate. It's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, uh, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. The third agency of government, yeah. I, would, I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce. And let's see, I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. But Trump's refusing to debate left all the remaining candidates screaming at each other, which is the reason Nikki Haley said she won't debate any longer. Did that decision hurt her in New Hampshire, or, or nothing matters anymore? Well, it, I think it's a missed opportunity. So nationally, a debate without Donald Trump is maybe going to get lower ratings than a debate with him. But it still would have gotten high ratings in New Hampshire among people who are planning to vote. And it's really a missed opportunity, again, for her to connect with those independent voters that she really needs to turn out. She has just not been willing to take Donald Trump on. Now, in her defense, uh, she entered 2024 in the position that every other Republican candidate hoped to a year ago, emerging as the primary opponent to Donald Trump. So why would she change what's worked for her here? But I'm reminded of that book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. She needs to make a pivot. She needs to make a stronger case against Donald Trump. She needs to give independents a reason to turn out for her. I've got a couple of suggestions. She could say things like, oh, I don't know, the 2020 election was not stolen, that January 6th was a bad thing, and Donald Trump bears some responsibility for it. You know, she doesn't have to go all in on the anti-Trump stuff, but she has to signal pretty clearly to centrist voters uh, that, that she's different than some of these other Republicans, the election deniers who have lost elections in New Hampshire over the last couple of election cycles, for example. So far, she just clearly is not willing to do that. You know, I saw a quote from Chris Sununu, the, the popular governor who has endorsed Haley, and they asked him, should she be piling on more on Trump? And he said, well, you know, look what that did for Chris Christie, and there's, there's truth to that. But one... Um, does Sununu's endorsement matter? And two, is he right? Is he right that, that the voters don't want a negative campaign? Because, you know, New Hampshire voters have always been considered more genteel and more proper than, you know, the kind of brawling Republicans you see in Iowa. 
Well, I'm not sure that's actually true. But yes, Governor Sununu's endorsement was very helpful to Governor Haley, and she's been lucky to have it. He has been all in for her. He was at the event last night. In fact, I had a chance to speak with him very briefly at the event. Uh, But, you know, there still has to be a contrast. She has to make the argument against him. I saw Chris Christie also three times on the stump, including a couple of days before Christmas. And, you know, she doesn't have to go as far as Christie in order to go a little further than she is right now. Uh, Last night, you know, just the most gentle rebuttal on the ad that Donald Trump is running against her in New Hampshire, but she clearly just does not have the stomach to take him on. Or she's made the calculation that it's bad politics. Well, I get it. She's trying to get to South Carolina in a competitive position in a state that's maybe more culturally conservative and also uh, a state where independents can't participate. But you know what? She's got to get to South Carolina with some signs of strength. And that means she has to put up some good numbers in New Hampshire. So that's the real challenge here. So on Tuesday night, we're looking for, does Donald Trump break 50 percent? And if so, by how much? And how close can Nikki Haley make it? Because if it's a pretty good gap, uh, this nomination contest could be over. I was thinking that, um, you know, I saw a Boston Globe poll that had Trump with 50 and Haley 34 percent. And that's not especially close. So I guess the, the obvious question is that if that margin stands, I mean, is it over? And does she even survive uh, to South Carolina? Well, I, I, we're all going to find out real soon, right? But that's a real question. Look, if Trump breaks 50 percent in New Hampshire, a state where independents can vote in the primary, it's going to be awfully hard for Nikki Haley or Governor DeSantis to make the case that voters are looking for somebody other than Donald Trump. And going into South Carolina, it's always been considered uh, a strength for Nikki Haley as the former governor of the state. Well, on the other hand, failure is not an option. You know, she has to go into South Carolina and win. And uh, she's already at below 50. Trump's already over 50 percent going into South Carolina. Obviously not a state where he looks especially vulnerable either. Uh, It's hard to see her succeeding there. You know, he said on Iowa caucus night that as victory's speech that he wanted everyone to come together and, you know, the negative candidate, the negative comments or a thing of the past. But let me just say, um, is Trump blanketing, you know, he's not appearing in any debates, but is he blanketing the airwaves? Uh, what, what do the airwaves look like uh, when you turn on your TV? Yeah, I mean, he is up with paid advertising. And to his credit, he's doing a lot of events in New Hampshire this week. I think he's doing five rallies. And uh, they've deliberately picked two small by half venues. So you're going to see articles saying, oh, my gosh, a thousand people inside and a thousand people couldn't get in. Well, that's because they're choosing to do events in places that they know they're going to overfill uh, and they could easily do them in bigger uh, venues if they wanted to, but they're choosing not to. So, you know, Trump is running a much better campaign this time around than in 2016. I just got to say that uh, objectively. You know, there's Trump the person and Trump the social media feed, and then there's his campaign, which is being run by professionals who have a job to do, and they are doing it. You know, they I think they effectively kneecapped uh, DeSantis before he got going. And, uh, and they are skillfully picking apart Nikki Haley now. Have you seen any evidence that, I mean, you know, given the fact, as you pointed out earlier, that there's not much activity on the Democratic side, have you seen any evidence that independents are, are switching to or coming out for Haley or Democrats are 
change, you know, changing their res- registration. Do you see any evidence of that happening? Well, there are a couple of efforts to try and persuade independents that, you know, if you're interested in preventing Donald Trump from becoming the Republican nominee, uh, your opportunity is to participate in the Republican primary. But, you know, Nikki Haley, DeSantis, neither one of them is John McCain. Uh, I just don't see evidence that they have made a connection with independent voters or created enough of an identity or shown that spark of independence themselves that, like John McCain did, that appealed to people who describe themselves as independent voters. Uh, the, the events, again, Nikki Haley had one this morning, about 150 people. Last night, the event I was at, which was her only public event of the day, uh, 250 people. The night before, her only public event of the day, 150 people. These are very modest crowds, and they do not suggest that she has made lit a, a fire under the independence that she needs. And the thought always was that that her real effort was going to be in New Hampshire, that that was a much better state for her than Iowa, correct? Well, you know, I will say that two or three months ago, if you said, hey, Nikki Haley is going to be in the mid-30s in New Hampshire, I think they would have been very happy with that especially if DeSantis was in the race, Vivek was in the race, Christie was in the race, but they're all not in the race anymore. And so 35% ain't going to cut it. You know, I was going to say, when, when Bill Clinton finished second to Paul Sangas here in 1992, you know, he pulled this, this great spin, say, calling himself the com- comeback kid. And I think to this day, I bet you a lot of people thought he actually won because of that line. But but second place, you know, you, you make a good point here. Second place in a crowded field is much different than a far back second place when it's one-on-one. And it basically is. I and mean, really, there are only three remaining candidates. And DeSantis is going to be in the single digits here. He's really just not a factor. All he's done for six months is lose supporters that he once had, hasn't added a new voter in that whole time. And now he's basically signaled that he's going to play in South Carolina and he's, he's hardly doing any activity in New Hampshire at all. Of course, the debates being canceled uh, deprives him of that opportunity as well. So uh, it's a two-person race really here. There's going to be a scattering of other votes. But, uh, yeah, 35% in a two-way race uh, is a crushing defeat, uh, not, a, uh, not a, a showing that suggests that you've got future strength. I looked at the demographics in Iowa, and every, every part of the party backed him, everything, everybody, college graduates, non-college graduates, people from Earth, people from, you know, Neptune. I mean, it didn't matter. You could, you could imagine back in 2016 a certain number of people saying, you know, Trump will grow in office. You know, he doesn't really mean all this stuff. It's all just a show. But then they watched them for four years. They saw January 6th. And what these Republicans are saying today is, yeah, we want more of that. <laughs> you know, you know uh, they, they're going to get more of that. And, and they yeah. they're going to get it and they're going to get it good and hard. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I do look at those low turnout numbers. Right. And it's not I got to think that there's just a, a whole swath of people. You know, if you were an Iowan who was for Mitt Romney in 2012, you know, are you still caucusing? You know, here 12, you know, 12 years later, are you, have you left the party? Are you no longer a Republican but activist? In, but in fairness, he's brought in new people, too. Oh, no question. So he's reshaped the people who are Republican activists. They are Trump people. Uh, I'm not even sure that they're philosophically, ideologically conservative. Uh, 
so and that you know parties change like that that's allowed to happen um but i just think what we have left is selection bias where you know your normie republicans your traditional republicans have basically gone on to do other things in their lives uh, it's not just that there's a generational change and a new group of activists it's that they have been replaced by a different kind of republican and uh you know, Trump's effect, he could have a heart attack tomorrow, and we don't go back to 2012 all of a sudden. Do those disaffected Republicans, those former Romney Republicans, do they vote for Joe Biden? I think enough of them do to prevent Trump from winning. But, I, you know, I don't discount at all his ability to win, especially if the middle is basically apathetic. You know, if they don't take uh, some of the threats to democracy and the authoritarianism seriously. More and more polls have shown that black voters, for example, are just not enthused about this, and they could stay home. That would that would that would crush Biden. I mean, I talked to my Democratic friends. I was like, "You guys are taking a huge risk on Joe Biden." I mean, Ken, I remember seeing Biden four years ago. You know, this week, uh, like the Saturday before the primary in Summersworth, New Hampshire. And I was watching him, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm witnessing the end of a, an accomplished, successful uh, four-decade career. You know, his fastball wasn't hitting 65. He was using a teleprompter at this very basic event. He was, you know, got baited into a back-and-forth with a climate protester. I, I mean, it was just awful. It was awful. And um, obviously, you know, he went on to somehow get the nomination. We know how that happened. But... Uh, you know, he, he hasn't gotten any better. And I'm not like anti-Biden, but the Republic will survive four more years of the Biden administration. I'm not sure it will in the form that we recognize if, if Trump gets back in. Uh, but Biden's only gotten less appealing. And, you know, this write-in campaign up here is such a joke. I mean, it's got Stockholm syndrome all over it, you know, because he's obviously doesn't care about the first in the nation primary. It's dead. It's never coming back. And you've got these Democratic activists uh, saying, oh, you know, we've got to show show loyalty to Joe Biden. So uh, I, you know, they, when they had so many other better choices that they could have had, uh, even other than Kamala Harris, uh, and they're they're betting the farm that Joe Biden can can shore up the wall one more time, and I'm not sure he can. Fergus Cullen is the former Republican state chair in New Hampshire and the author of Granite Steps. Stumbles, surprises, and successes on the New Hampshire primary trail. Fargus, it was great talking to you, as always. Thank you so much, Ken. feels strange talking about the New Hampshire primary without mentioning the Democrats. Some of the more memorable primaries in history have taken place in New Hampshire with the Democrats. How can we forget Eugene McCarthy doing better than expected against President Lyndon Johnson, which led to LBJ's withdrawal from the race in 68? New Hampshire's rich primary history is filled with dramatic moments among the Democrats. But not this year. 
President Biden has done what Democrats nationally have been talking about for ages, taking away New Hampshire's treasured first-in-the-nation status. The argument has long been that the state is too white, that the demographics don't measure up for the Democrats' constituency. Others say that Biden took the action because he did so poorly in the 2020 primary, a weak fifth-place finish behind Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Elizabeth Warren. What saved Biden's candidacy and his nomination was his victory in South Carolina, which, uncoincidentally, is officially leading off the Democratic calendar this year. But that hasn't deterred New Hampshire Democrats from holding its own primary, unsanctioned or not, next Tuesday. Biden is not on the ballot. His supporters are waging a write-in effort. But Dean Phillips is. He's a three-term congressman from Minnesota, a wealthy Democrat from the Minneapolis suburbs who won a safe Republican seat in 2018 and who has shown no hesitation in taking on his party. Phillips is running this ad in New Hampshire. It shows Bigfoot, armed with a camcorder, searching for Joe Biden. I'm something of an expert on elusive creatures. So I challenge myself to find President Biden in New Hampshire during this primary season. I thought I was good at hiding. So I asked around, have you seen Joe? I mean, how can you have tens of thousands of people looking for you all the time and not one person find you? I'd looked for him everywhere, even the Democratic primary debate. No, Joe. But I did keep seeing this guy. This guy, Dean Phillips, was everywhere. It's like he actually cared about what people were telling him. A politician that cares? Well, that's scarcer than Joe Biden in New Hampshire. I started to wonder, I mean, has Joe Biden even been here at all? Never did find Joe Biden. Now some big money super PAC is telling us to vote for him. Why write him in when he's written us off? I'm Dean Phillips, candidate for president, and I approved this message. Biden and the DNC are not involved in the write-in campaign. But it takes no math wizard to know that a poorer showing than expected could send a signal to Democrats that the president faces some problems in his bid for re-election. Lou D'Alessandro is a longtime Democratic state senator from Manchester who made it clear from the beginning that he wasn't happy with the party bypassing New Hampshire in the primary process. Lou, it's great having you back on The Political Junkie. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to hear your voice, and it's great to be back. Well, it's great to have you hear your voice as well. And, you know, it, it, it goes without saying, and I'm, of course you know this better than anybody, but, but since 1952, New Hampshire has prided itself as the home of the first-in-the-nation primary. And since 1975, a state law declared that no state could hold the primary before its own. Now, now, Republicans have stuck with New Hampshire, and all eyes are on the GOP candidates as we approach Tuesday's contest, but Biden took it away. So what's your understanding of what Biden wanted to do, and how do you feel about it? Well, you know, what he wanted to do was move South Carolina forward, and he did do that. He was able to do that through the Democratic National Committee. How do I feel about it? Obviously, uh, very disappointed. New Hampshire has had the first in the nation primary for a long period of time. We actually run an election, which is much different than, uh, than Iowa does with its crazy caucuses. We run an election. The state pays for it. Everybody can participate in it. If you're unaligned, you could pick up a ballot on that day, declare yourself one party or the other, and then go back to independent when you leave. So we run it well. 
we count it. The counts are, are legitimate. They're announced on time. Everything has been almost flawless for year after year after year after year. And, and because uh, the, the incumbent didn't do too well, evidently, he changed his mind about uh, how the primary, where the primary should be held. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm obviously disappointed the primary is so important to New Hampshire, and uh, it, it was part of the of, of the culture of, of New Hampshire. You know, it was like it had to be because it's always been, and uh, we'll always keep it. And by state law, we we have it, you know, engraved in the statutes. We will be the first in the nation primary. Uh, unsanctioned or not. Unsanctioned or not. You got it. You know, um, I mean, I could understand the argument against Iowa, as you pointed out, that they, their results have been a mess. They've declared one person the winner. Then later they said, oh, whoops, you know, it's, it's the other guy, and the other person. And I could understand moving away from Iowa because it's, it's, its results and its counting were, was so un, unreliable. But was New Hampshire just peak because he finished so poorly or... Or was it demographics? Or well, what they what they say is they say it's demographics because we don't represent the United States. We're a ninety nine percent white state, but I, I think that's just thrown out there because we are becoming more diverse. We, we've become we have become more and more diverse all all the time. You look at our metropolitan areas: Manchester, Nashua, Concord, Dover, Portsmouth. They're becoming very diverse. Diverse in my Senate district. I have eight minority schools. Blacks and Hispanics make up a majority of the population. That's diversity. That's diversity. And we we are we are diverse. So that argument could be thrown right out right out the window. And the fact of the matter is, as I said, we run a legitimate race. We run a legitimate primary. We pay for it. The state pays for it. The Secretary of State manages it. The count is is appropriate. And the count is announced when when the election is over. We have a winner and we have second, third, fourth, or fifth place. But, I mean, it's done so well. And it's got such a long, distinguished history of of, uh, being exciting because of the things that happened. I can remember supporting Hillary Clinton over Obama in in a primary here. We had a big, big win uh, that that evening. Think of the other, the other events that have taken place over the years that have, have been characteristic of, uh, you know, a, a, something can happen, something that, that, that wasn't counted on can happen. It's exciting. It, it makes a difference, and that's why we have the primary. So, so. You know, I mean, I, I think of the, uh, the and, and you do too, because you've written a book about this, about the history of New Hampshire and things like that, but I remember just like you did, you know, Lyndon Johnson's re-election bid well, actually, but he was, it was as a write-in. And, uh, that, and, and that's the one where Eugene McCarthy gave him uh, Johnson a run for his money. But Joe Biden is being pushed on the ballot. Uh, no, he's not on the ballot, but he's been, uh, his supporters are urging a write-in vote. Is there, is there pressure on Biden supporters to turn out for the president? Because, because not everybody knows that, you know, he's not on the ballot. Right. Well, I think there has been a, a, a concentrated effort to get people to pick up a ballot and to write in Joe Biden. I've gotten some mailings, uh, so a couple of TV commercials, you know, not a great number because the heck the Republicans have bought up all the television time. They own all of that. But yeah, there's been an effort to, to make it happen. I mean, people, uh, we had the governor of Massachusetts up here last week, and she was 
uh, advocating for writing Joe Biden did, I think, did a magnificent job, Laura Healy. So th- there's an effort to do it. And, uh, heck, we want to save face. You know, the Democrats certainly don't want a Republican as the president, that's for sure. And the only way to get at that at the first time is to show that the president does have, even though he, he doesn't look favorably upon New Hampshire, he does have support in New Hampshire, and I think that's key. You know, I, uh, earlier I played that Dean Phillips ad. Uh, you oh, men- yes. You mentioned you've seen some Biden ads, oh. but are there many Biden ads, and is that are the Dean Phillips ads on constantly? I remember, I'm just saying I remember being in New Hampshire and being bombarded by campaign ads, which, as a political junkie, I loved it, but are there... Are there Biden ads uh, blanketing the airwaves? No, no, no. they're not. But Dean Phillips is blanketing the airwaves. Dean Phillips and, and uh, the Republicans are dominating the, the, the airwaves. Trump and Healy are, are dominating it. You know, when DeSantis has pulled back, I think he's probably run home to Florida now and he's hiding out. I think it's, there's no secret and, and that many Democrats had preferred another candidate to take the reins this year, saying that, you know, while Biden had an admirable record, but he's too old and they need a newer generation to come forward. How, how did you feel about that argument? Well, I, I feel strongly that Biden has done a good job and he should, he should, be, he should repeat. Uh, look, you got a person with experience. We're in very troubled waters as we speak. And we need it. We need a steady hand to guide us through. Just today, the the, the trouble in the Middle East has expanded. You got the Iran, Pakistan, Iraq troubles there, Yemen troubles there, Israel and, and Hamas troubles there. We need a steady hand. I think the president's worked diligently to to control that situation. I mean, he's got to get got to get a handle on Netanyahu and what's going on in Israel. But he's experienced foreign policy is his strong point. We, we need that kind of leadership uh, to guide us through these troubled waters. And uh, I don't think age makes a difference. Listen, listen, you know, Ronald Reagan said, just because they're young, don't hold it against them. What do you think about Phillips' challenge? Uh, it, one, is he making any headway? Uh, is, he, is he hurting the president at all? Well, I think to some extent, sure, the, the ads are on a lot. And you, the one you just mentioned with the caveman, I, I think that's uh, that's pretty hard-hitting, I would say. But if you're with the president, you're with the president, and I don't think you can, I don't believe this is going to change your mind. Phillips is a non, he's a non-entity in essence. He's, he's an unknown guy that came here with his red, white, and blue bus, called me when I was in, I happened to be in the hospital. But I was sick. He called me and wanted to talk about the campaign, but um, nobody really knows knows him. And he and he's not running for re-election in his district, so uh, obviously this is a one-shot deal for him. You know, when I think of famous challenges to a president in New Hampshire, and, you know, I think you and I have talked about this every four years, but McCarthy against Johnson, Ted Kennedy against Jimmy Carter, yes. uh, even Pat Buchanan against President Bush in 92, they've always been about differences on issues. What's Phillips' argument other than the fact that Joe Biden is 81 years old? I, I don't think there is another argument. There's nothing that's been brought forward. It's, it's the age situation and the fact that he's not here. Those are the two preeminent features of his campaign. I haven't seen any polling, but, but nationally, the, uh, the president's approval rating is something like 
33 percent. That's that's dangerously low for an incumbent. I think it's very dangerously low, obviously, and that's why we need a, a good push here in New Hampshire. We need a good, good write-in ballot, a good write-in presentation of, of the ballot. But I don't think the people appreciate and I, this. is a very sad situation. The quality of his leadership up to this point and what he has done, the American Recovery Act, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, these things have played a significant role in restoring the economy of, of the country. He's, he's, done a, he's done a good job in his foreign policy. He's, I think that's his strong point. He's, he's, he's doing well. Uh, but for some reason, he, he's, it, it's just not catching on. And uh, maybe it's it's because of the this situation in New Hampshire takes preeminence, and you know the primaries are so important. They get all kinds of news and and the like. But we we just got to keep going. He's got to keep going. And, uh, he's he's given a couple of very good uh, speeches in the last few weeks. So hey, we always hope for the best, right? I keep thinking, though, I keep reading remarks by Democrats, sometimes anonymous, but sometimes, you know, quoted by name, saying that, yes, Joe Biden has a great record, and why aren't they making the case? Now, why? I mean, what's the answer to that, or do you know the answer to that? Well, A, I don't have the answer, but I think it's the excellent question, and it's the question that everybody brings forward. Why aren't we making more of the quality of what he has done? Why aren't they out there with a full-court press letting the people know that you're much better off uh, than you would have been under a previous administration. And you, you, you wages are, your wages are better. He's brought down inflation. And we're, move, and we're moving ahead. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, just, I just don't understand. It. And you've got to get that word out constantly. You, gotta, you, know, you, know, you know what it is in, in terms of PR. It's the same message over and over and over again because it, it repeats itself. And that, indeed, has to be done. He's got to get that out. But after three, I mean, the fact that we're still saying in the fourth year of his presidency that they haven't gotten their message out, that has to be concerning. You know, you wrote a book uh, five or six years ago. It was called Lou D'Alessandro, Lion of the New Hampshire Senate and Thoughts for Presidential Hopefuls. Yes. What are your thoughts? If you, if you had Joe Biden right next to you right now, what advice would you give him? Well, it's it's funny because I was with him two weeks ago, and I did get, I, I did whisper in his ear and said, "Listen, we got to do something more in in, in the Middle East. Netanyahu's got to be brought under control, and indeed, you've got to get the word out that things are better now than they were when we had the previous president. And that that message has got to be out there loud and clear. And the fact that roads are being paved, bridges are being built." Many, many, many things are being taken care of with the American recovery money, and that's all because of the work done by your administration. And we are moving in a positive direction. Got to get it out. And listen, uh, the more it's said, the more people listen, the more it sinks in, because repetition is the way to do it. Now, Republicans are talking nonstop about the border. Even some Democrats are saying that this is a serious issue. But the fact is that the Republicans don't seem to want to play ball with Biden because they want to keep it as an issue. No question. They don't want to fix it. He's talked about fixing it a number of times. He just doesn't let the people know uh, what's out there and that the Republicans are just uh, stymieing things. I mean, look at what's happened 
to the Congress of the United States with Republican leadership. Chaos. Chaos. You got a speaker from Louisiana now who said he didn't he did not respect the results of the last election. Now you are you kidding me? He's the speaker of the House and he doesn't appreciate the fact that the president won the election? <laughs> What kind of leadership is that? Let's point that out to people. If, if that's leadership, we're in real trouble. Are you frustrated or are you hopeful or both? Both, a combination of both. I, I live in hope. You've got to be optimistic, but I'm frustrated. And that's why I work every day in, in, in the legislature here in New Hampshire to try to make things better and to get the word out that we are making things better. We're striving to, to, uh, to make it a better day. Lou D'Alessandro is a Democratic state senator from New Hampshire who has a long history in Granite State politics. Lou, it was great talking to you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity. You stay happy, stay healthy, and keep the dream alive and well, and have a great, great American day. Lou, thank you so much. Thank you, kid. Take care. Old man, look at my life. I'm a lot like you. my life I'm a lot like you That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. I'll see you soon. I've been first and last Look at how the time goes past But I'm